Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Lynn S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Tuesday, September 26th, and we are reading from the big book, starting chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 151. Reading the first paragraph and comments will be on the first paragraph. Today's readers are the 12 steps, Liz B, 12 traditions, Mary G, and readers of the text, Roz R, Lisa H, and Cecilia H. The reference numbers for Monday, September 25th, 7 a.m. meeting, 10470, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 10472. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Liz V to read the 12 steps. Hi, I'm Liz V, recovered um, compulsive overeater in North Carolina. 12 steps one we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of god as we understood him four made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves five Admit it to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Liz V. And Mary G. will read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning. This is Mary G. in Rochester, New York, recovering. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Seven, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lynn. Have a great day. Thank you, Mary G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, page 151, the first paragraph for more normal folks, and we'll be reading one paragraph and comments on that paragraph. I'll now ask Roz R. to begin reading. When may I be heard? Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, this is Roz R. in Florida, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. For most normal folks, drinking means conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. It means release from care, boredom, and worry. It is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life 
as we once did in a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. Um, the thing that popped into my mind when, when I was reading this was um, I can remember my little daughters, you know, and I, well, they're not little now, but when they were little and in, in the old days, you know, in the birthday parties, you know, I would be able to make a cake and, and have other little baskets and, you know, be part of everything and enjoy, you know, the people and enjoy the party food and enjoy my children and clean up after. And it was such, so, so much joy. Um, but as this disease progressed, um, it was not joy anymore. I can remember um, not even caring about the, the kids or my own kids. I couldn't wait to clean up and get in the kitchen to be by myself and gorge down all the extra cake. And, um, you know, I just, it was, it was an awful feeling. And I didn't even know that there was anything wrong with me. I just figured, you know, the right diet would, 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 would fix it. Or if I could just you know, lose the weight, it would fix it. It was always about the weight and it was always about the control. Um, but what it did was it took away um, so many years of me enjoying my family and my children because I, there were times I just wanted to get rid of my kids. I don't mean hurt them. I mean, just get out of my face so I could eat in peace because, of course, if they saw me eating, they wanted it. And <laughs> I didn't want to share even with my own children. It was It was such an awful place to be and I hope I never go there again I just am grateful um, to have this program and to have the recovery and the neutrality around food today and um, you know I just I can just remember one time when um, when I waited for everyone to go to bed to eat some potato chips I had stored away and I can remember I waited till 12 o'clock at night I thought everyone was gone and I had it upstairs where everybody slept you know a duplex and I just had gotten into eating them, and my husband came down, grabbed them out of my hands, took them into the kitchen, threw the bowl and the potato chips in the sink, turned the hot water on, walked back upstairs, never said a word, and we never discussed it. But the humiliation that I felt was went on for years, and, and it, it's something I'll never, never forget. Um, I just could not help myself, and nobody ever discussed it. It was like the elephant in the living room. Anyway, um, thank you for your service, Lynn, and I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this awesome group. Bad pass. Thank you, Rosar. The line will now be open for sharing. Please say your name just once. It helps me hear everybody. Who would like to Katie share on what from we just Boston. read? This is Larry. Katie S. Katie G. from Boston. Leslie Katie W. S. Hey. Melissa C. Harry N. Okay, let me tell you who I heard. Karen M. Katie G. Larry K. Tina S. Melissa C. Carrie N. There was somebody else, I believe, S. Or was it just Tina S.? Okay, I heard a Carrie N and then maybe a Karen, or did I miss here? Yes, Karen M from New Jersey. Karen N? Harlan G. Mary. Oh, great. Okay, let's you go off that line. You also heard a Karen B. Okay, all right, let me tell you who I have, and then if I missed anybody, I apologize. We'll pick them up on the next round. Lauren Katie G. M. 
Larry K, Tina S, Melissa C, Carrie N, Karen N, I think that might be a duplicate, Harlan G, Sharon D, and Lauren N snuck in there at the end, and that's it for our lineup. Okay, Katie G, can you start off for us, please? Good morning, Lynn. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic, starting my timer in Boston, Mass. Yeah, you know, one of the things I that God kind of put on my heart this morning is God today for me means release from care, boredom, and worry. God means joyous intimacy. Because when I was pounding the food down, there was no intimacy. You know, the only way I have ever felt release from care, boredom, and worry, and intimacy, which literally means into me I see, I cannot get there when I'm pounding food, when I'm exercising bulimically, when I'm putting laxatives in my body, when I am so obsessed with self that no one can get to me, right? I, I have none of that. And for me, this paragraph really... I guess just um, hammers home to me this, you know, the delusional thinking that I had around the food. Like I never, I never got, I got a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first bite. I never got what normal people seem to get, right? Like when I was at a party, people would be, you know, having a bite of this and a bite of that and, oh, I, and, I couldn't imagine how they're not thinking, okay, when am I going to go on a diet? Am I going to eat that? Am I going to eat that? How many calories is that? There were no great moments for me. Like it was a high if my parents told me that we were going out for hot fudge sundaes. And I would never... And I remember, you know, at times in my 20s sitting there and stuffing food and alcohol into my mind and thinking, oh, a camera, like a camera picture close up of this young 20-something-year-old woman. And, of course, I was really thin. And here she is drinking this lovely alcoholic drink. And then she's having this lovely whatever. All this delusional thinking, right, that I could have it again and failing over and over and over again. And over the years, um, you know, I've seen how I've given up my right around certain substances and certain behaviors. You know, my husband can go out and, and be training for a marathon, and if I'm not... Um, committed around my exercise. For me, I have trigger behaviors. If I'm not committed around it, then the next thing I know, I'm going to be doing what I did before, which was trying to, you know, making my whole life around getting this exercise because I'm not okay without it, you know. And thanks be to God, I have an announcement to make. KDG is not normal, you know, and the conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination, the release from care, boredom, and worry, and the joyous intimacy, what do I get? I get that from entire abstinence and working the steps. My old pleasures are nothing compared to the life that I am privileged to live one day at a time with entire abstinence and the 12 steps and all of you. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, KDG. Larry K, it's your turn, and Tina S, you'll be next. Good morning, Lynn. Thanks so much. Um, Larry K, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. But not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. You know, I have memories that stand out in my, my last days of heavy eating uh, just prior to coming to the rooms of OA many years ago. And 
I remember those days. I remember a day in particular, like it was yesterday. It was like the movie Groundhog Day, you know, simply a repetition from all the the hopeless days, the seemingly hopeless days prior to that one. And I, I felt very dead inside, and my body was heavy. It was about 100 pounds heavier than it is today, but my heart was even heavier. You know, I was a zombie walking through life, but boy, oh boy, did I look good on paper, let me tell you. And the emotional numbness from lunchtime, I remember, was wearing off. And I needed a fix, you know, a, a crack pipe or Cracker Jacks, you know, what's the difference? It's the same underlying dynamic, right? It gives me my fix. Both do the same job. And it was dinner time, and I, I chose to eat alone, as I did in those last days, because a guy like me had too much pride to own up to my defects of character. I, I wouldn't eat in front of you, or if I did, I would eat uh, like a normal, like a gentleman. See, false pride will kill you just as fast as food, but I wasn't ready to understand that, nor was I certainly prepared to, to surrender to some notion of a power outside of myself. I was... I wasn't going to be made a fool. No, see, see, I was too intelligent for that. <laughs> and, and I inhaled another pizza for dinner by myself. I'd fall asleep on the couch. And I remember waking up to the TV blaring. And I remember what was on. It was a show called Intervention. And I don't know that that's why I went to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous the next morning. But is it odd or is it God? I don't know. You know, so there I was, heavy of heart, heavy of body, and um, full of contempt for you, full of secrets that I would continue to hang on to, continue to search for validation in, in my, uh, my paper, my academic and my professional achievements, knowing at the deepest core of my being that I, I was a fraud. See, my walk and my talk were not congruent. And the very next day, I attended my first um, OA meeting. And, you know, I'd love to tell you that I immediately worked the practical program of action and I became recovered a couple months later, but that wasn't the case for me. Um, for me, I spent about five years looking for researching, developing a softer, easier way. I learned that one didn't exist for a guy like me. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank God for this program. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Tina S., it's your turn, and Melissa C., you'll be next. Thanks, Lynn, for your service, Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff again. I, I say that all the time when I share because it's the truth for me today. And, you know, what I, what I uh, really like about the first paragraph here for me, it says, for most normal folks. And, and that just uh, lets me know that I'm not normal. You know, it's already been shared, and it's the truth, because I cannot remember the feelings of conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination while I was in the food. That's not my experience. Uh, I was a compulsive eater from the time I was a young child. So what I do remember is that while everybody was eating with me, I was excited, but then they wanted to stop, you know, and I didn't want to stop, so therefore I had to hide. And I didn't eat around people, too, and that was shared also. It, or if I did, it was a salad. You know what I mean? I, I ate in um, alone, you know, and then once I ate, all I felt was this uh, horror, you know, the, the four horsemen, terrible, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and, you know, 
I forget what, what the other one is. But anyway, that's what I felt. And I was afraid to go out. You know, I didn't want to be around people. And and what I did feel once I started, you know, working the 12 steps, once I started, you know, thinking more about what I can do for you as opposed for what as opposed to what I could get from you, I felt that release from care, boredom, and worry. It's joyous intimacy that I had with friends and a feeling that life is good. You know, and that's what I feel today. And that's what I continue to want today. So therefore, therefore, the only way that I get in a vision for you, I mean, how many chapters have we read prior to? And, the, and we have done, gone through all 12 steps to have a transformation you know, to have that transformation so that I could be this person in a vision for you and that I could give this thing away. And that's what it's about for me today. You know, um, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I continue to want to have that. So I'm going to continue to do this deal. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. Melissa C., it's your turn. And Karen N., you'll be next. Hi, good morning, Lynn. Thank you for your service. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And I, you know, for most normal people. Well, you know what? I'm already identifying out because I'm not normal. And, um, and the illusion that I was like other people, that's what had to be smashed, you know? And um, I kept wanting to be normal. And so you look around and, yeah, normal people eat and drink, um, and it's social, and it's fun, and they get released from boredom and worry and care, and, you know, it's, it's a very celebratory activity, and that's the elusive feeling that they talked about in the doctor's opinion that I kept chasing. I kept, and it was like, like a fog. You know, you can see it. It's right there. It's right there in front of you, that hope that I'm going to have some enjoyment from this. But it is like that fog. I can't grab it. It just sort of dissipates as I as I reach out for it. And that's the food. That's the lie of the food that, um, you know, that somehow I'm going to celebrate a birthday, you know, with cake. And, and there was no celebration for me. That's what other people got to do with cake. For me, um, the cake triggered my allergy and my crazy thinking. And then I didn't care whose birthday it was. I didn't care if that birthday person was alive or dead. Just give me the cake, you know. And so I can't, you know, I can't use food as celebration. I don't eat recreationally um, because I'm not recreating anything when I'm eating. There's no recreation for me with food. It it goes right to the worst place so quickly. And, you know, in my last days of binging, um, it became really clear to me that um, every time I picked up um, in the guise of a celebration, in the guise of doing what normal people did, I was in the worst possible place and it was so quick and you know and so the lie was was like it it became really clear this was a lie this was not the truth um and the food stopped being enjoyable and and i was so sad like what a sad place to not have that anymore um and yet that's where my recovery began thank you with that i'll pass thank you melissa c 
I believe the next name is Karen N. Hi, this is Karen M. for Mary um, in New Jersey. Um, Thank you, Karen. I've been listening to A Vision for a long time. Uh, I actually went to the convention and met many of you beautiful people, but this is actually the first time that I am sharing. Um, you know, this this paragraph really resonates for me um, because I had been a chronic relapser, years of recovery and then relapse. And so where it says there was always one more attempt and one more failure. And that was me. You know, I too, I didn't want to be different. You know, I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like everyone. I wanted to share in the food. I wanted to share in the celebratory things, um, centered around food and the food took me away from those beautiful celebratory occasions. Um, you know, as, as many shared before me, I would have these elaborate birthday parties for my kids and they were so lovely and so nice until I got back into the sugar and then they weren't. And that's sad to me, you know, and for today, I don't have to live there anymore. You know, I, if I make a decision, Decision. What I keep hearing is a decision to not turn to the food and to turn to my higher power. And I never, ever, ever have to live like that again where food is everything. So um, for today, I am committed. I'm committed to the program. I'm committed to turning to my higher power. And I'm so grateful for this meeting. And I'll pass. Thank you, Karen M. Harlan G., it's your turn, and Sharon D., you'll be next. Thank you very much, and, and thank you to Team uh, Tuesday for this fantastic meeting. So glad to be here. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. I love this chapter, and this is obviously the chapter that we get our name from is a vision for you. There's going to be a lot of history in this chapter and a lot of really just beautiful prose in this chapter. But as I look at these first two paragraphs here, my mind flashes back to my childhood. There was really never that feeling of conviviality for me unless I was with people that were out-and-out binge buddies. When I was with normies, even at the time that I was five, six, seven years old, there was that feeling in the pit of my gut that food was by far the most important thing. And since some of you, and because the chapter alludes, or the paragraphs allude to party or, or get-togethers, some of you have used the birthday party analogy. My mom was about 150, 175 pounds heavier than any of the other moms that I knew. My dad was many, many years older and much heavier than any of the other dads that I knew from the neighborhood. And I was the fattest kid in the neighborhood. And when we would play games at a birthday party, my eye and my brain would be watching for the cake, watching for the ice cream. And I would just be playing, but I'd be watching like a hawk for that food. And when that food came, there was never enough. I didn't have that secret eating gene that my mother had. I ate like there was no tomorrow. I didn't care who was around. 
I would restrain myself if there were abusive people around because some people were very abusive to me about the way that I ate. And there were people who made fun of me and embarrassed me. So I would wait till I got home, knowing all the while that there would be massive quantities of food in my house. It says here, there was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do it. I really didn't have that insistent yearning to enjoy life because I passed into this illness in my infancy. There was always one more attempt and one more failure. I would try to eat either nothing or I would eat everything. There was no middle ground for me. Food had an unnatural position in my life. The desire for food had an unnatural position in my life. Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 steps did not restore me. They gave me life. They gave me the only life that I've ever had. I never had the good times. I was off the charts as a child. I didn't have those 10 and 20 and 30 years of normal body size and normal eating that I hear from people all the time. Thank God for Overeaters Anonymous. It has given me whatever life I've had. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words it might have been. It's not that I would have died. We're all going to die. But that I would have never lived without this book and this program. Thank God for a vision for you. Thank God for all of it. And thank God for each and every one of you on this line and at the convention. Even if you're just sitting there listening, you're part of the thread that makes me live. Thank you very much. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Sharon D., it's your turn. And Lauren N., you'll be next. Good morning. This is Sharon D. from Brooklyn, New York. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for your service. This is the first time I'm sharing on this line as well. And what keeps me coming back is that the counter is way over 300 people. And that does my heart good to know that there are people as desperate as I am to recover from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The part that I really want to share is about the uh, the word conviviality and how that word has wreaked havoc in my life um, when it comes to the food. Um, I completely relate to the author when he writes about the conviviality of the um, the uh, atmosphere. Um, it, it was all a lie. You know, for me, the conviviality came in the form of being alone with my whole cake or pies that I would eat in silence, I would be happy and feeling joyful, so I thought, at the prospect of 
oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm about to have something amazing and magical and fantastic, and I'm going to feel better and enlightened even. And the moment will last for about 40 seconds after I polished off the entire whatever, and then the demoralization would set in almost instantly. And I would talk about this in the diet centers. I would talk about it in the diet camps as a child. I would talk about it to therapists, that this is my thinking. This is what I think is going to happen. For decades, I talked like that, and I still couldn't get with the reality, refused to get with the reality until I got a higher power in my life who's front and center. I don't do anything until I pray. I stay in my bed and I pray and I pray and I pray and I meditate on his will for me and the power to carry that out. Otherwise, I'm doomed to repeat that fallacious thinking that there is. I thank you for being here, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon D. And Lauren N., it's your turn. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you. Lauren N. Thank you, Lauren M., um, compulsive overeater, sugar addict from New York. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here every day, day in, day out. It helps me get out of my selfishness and my resentments. I... This program helps me work day in, day out, and be in service, and thank you so much for this. I remember being so sick that I didn't want to be around anyone ever. I wanted to have food, be my end-all and be-all. It was my end-all and be-all. I get to live every day and love every day in a way that I've never, ever experienced before in my life. I never imagined life would be this much fun. Even though I sometimes have anxiety come up and I'm able to figure out a place to put it. I no longer self-medicate. Thank God. With that, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Lauren N. For those of us who are just joining us on the line, we're reading Chapter 11 of Vision for You, and that's page 151. We're reading the first paragraph and commenting on that. Who else would like Nessa, to share? Nessa R. Roz G. Nessa R. Neil G. Lisa B. Neil G. Donisa R. Sorry, hi. Can I, I'm sorry. I'm having, okay, I'm having trouble this morning. I'm sorry. If you could just say your name once, I'll, I'll be able to get it. Let me tell you who I did here. Okay. I heard Nessa R, Roz G, Lisa B, Devorah S, and Russ M. Let's go with those and we'll see how we're doing with time. So Nessa R, you're first, and then Roz G. Okay, now let's go. Nessa R, it's your turn. Hi, sorry, I thought I was uh, I thought I was unmuted. I uh, I want to apologize to you for trampling over while uh, you were still speaking. Um, so this is uh, Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. So one more attempt and one more failure. Um, you know, um, OA was not the first thing I tried to lose weight. I didn't wake up one morning and say, geez, I'm, I'm overweight 10 pounds, I need to lose and let's go to OA. Uh, after years and decades of abusing my body in all sorts of ways, with food, with bulimia, um, one diet after another, um, losing weight, gaining, gaining it back, and then some, um, I found myself uh, with 70 extra pounds, totally depressed and demoralized and discouraged. And an idea popped into my head that if there was an Alcoholics Anonymous, perhaps there was an Overeaters Anonymous, and I Googled it, and lo and behold, there it was. Um, but the weird thing is that I came into the rooms and I continued to do the same thing for nine years that I was doing out of the rooms, still chasing that effect that was produced by food, you know, still trying to find an easier, softer way inside the rooms. And I guess the, the miracle for me was that I never gave up in the sense that I never left the rooms. You know, I was afraid that if I'd leave the rooms, that there would be 400 pounds out there waiting for me. And that fear alone kept me in here uh, long enough to find recovery. And recovery, I, I, I did find. And I, I would be lying if I, if I said that I, I, um, I, I get the same sense of ease and comfort from my higher power than I got from the food. Because what I get from my higher power is so much greater than that. You know, of course, it gives me a sense of discomfort, but it lasts more than nine nanoseconds, and there's no boomerang effect. There is no um, self-loathing. There's no um, beating myself up, thinking how dumb and stupid I am, um, you know, uh, like I used to do when every time I went back into the food. Yeah, the sense of discomfort was there, but it was it was fleeting, and then... And then the determination, the remorse, uh, the discouragement that followed was, 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 was unbearable. And, you know, that is gone now. That is gone from my life. And so, so what happened? How did I get from, 
from uh, despair and misery to, to this wonderful life where, where I have a, a beautiful relationship, an honest and true attachment to my higher power. And it's very simple. Entire abstinence, as was shared earlier on in the, uh, in the meeting, entire abstinence and working the steps. These were the two things that propelled me from depths of misery to this beautiful life that I have now, you know, where I don't have to chase the effect of the food, where I get more than a sense of reason comfort from, from God, where um, all my problems are taken care of, not that they've disappeared, not that my circumstances are any better or any different, but, you know, um, I have the tools that I need now to live life in a, in a peaceful, you. contented way and with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Roz G, it's your turn, followed by Lisa B. Roz G, are you there? Hi, sorry, I was muted. Uh, This is Roz G. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, hearing me. once again, this is Roz G. from Los Angeles, California, um, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I'm kind of going to share, you know, where I'm at today. And when I was a kid, um, the first place that um, – the last food that I binged on was pizza, and I ate nearly a whole pizza. And I, when I think about, you know, let's see, where it says um, – we want, whenever could we recapture the great moments of the past? I think about pizza. And when I was a little kid, there was this restaurant called Shakey's Pizza. And you walk in and there'd be this big glass and pe- people would be um, making pizza dough, like, sh- you know, like shaking it, like making it round. And they were ma- making kind of a show out of it. And it smelled so good. And then there was a man in a straw hat playing ragtime songs. And there were pinball machines. And um, it was just a a really fun place for for me to go as a kid. You know, my parents would take me there. So whenever we went to Shakey's, it meant, oh, I get to hear the ragtime music and play pinball machines and sit at the bench type tables and laugh with my family. And then, you know, as time went on, when I got older and I had kids, um, I would take them to Chuck E. Cheese, you know, and you say happy, I say birthday, and, you know, it was fun. And um, there, were, there was laughter, there was games, church gatherings, um, whoever brought the pizza was the most popular. So, you know, casseroles came in second, but pizza was round and beautiful and, and soft and warm. And um, at Potluck, since it was an easy contribution. So for me, pizza meant exactly what it says here, conviviality, companionship, and colorful imagination. And, you know, uh, I see a therapist about once every two weeks, you know, thanks to, you know, being an OA and especially a vision for you and letting go of the food a lot of my fears and character defects have, have you know, come to the surface. And um, I'm, 
instead of, you know, I'm learning how to fill the, the God-sized shaped hole with God instead of food. And um, it's a little bit difficult for me to completely give myself over to God because I have some things that are bothering me that that I haven't worked out yet. But I'm grateful that uh, I'm practicing an abstinent life and that I'm looking forward to more of a wholeness of God. But I do relate to food being uh, a place of, of gathering and joy and laughter. But after eating a whole pizza Time, and, please. you know, wake, thanking, and I'll, and I'll wrap up, and I'll wrap up by saying that, you know, waking up in the middle of the night with heartburn and um, acid, acid reflux is no fun. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Roz G. Lisa B., it's your turn, and Devorah S., you'll be next. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you so much, Lynn S., for your service. Um, So what jumps out for me in this reading is um, intimacy. Let me find it, that word. It says, uh, it is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good. Well, you know, I woke up, I, I'm not I woke up, I was born, I think, with a knot in my stomach. I really feel that way. Um, I was terrified of intimacy, and if I got intimacy or love from my family, my parents, my friends, or teachers, I never could feel it. It just, it was like nothing could penetrate in. And um, I was on this uh, journey from day one of just trying to find something to give me ease and comfort. So, you know, what I also identify with this reading, and I'm so excited to be starting a chapter with all of you, a new chapter, Vision for You. I love this book. It's truly my manual for how to live life in a sane and serene and free way. Um, Is, uh, you know, peanut M&Ms and plain M&Ms. They would give me the energy and the get up and go to clean the house and to talk to people and sound confident and happy and bubbly instead of uh, the depressed despair uh, feeling that I had inside. And then the other type of foods like, uh, you know, heavy starches like loads of potatoes and rice, um, things like that. You know, I could pass out on the couch and be numb and not feel anything. And life just passed me by. Um, It says that the old pleasures were gone. I mean, I had moments, yes, of great fun, you know, with the food. But I always knew in the depth of my being, just like I knew from the first time I had an alcohol beverage, that this would be the death of me, that there is something different with me and food. Or I had that with alcohol, too. And I remember the very first time I could not, Stop eating peanut butter toast. It was the uncontrollable binge. I had turned a corner. My disease turned a corner. The fun times were really gone now. And I had to have my mother come over to my apartment to physically remove me from my apartment so I could stop eating the peanut butter toast. And I remember the look on her face. She just didn't understand, you know, what I was trying to express to her. And I felt like I'm screwed. This this is never going to go away. It's going to get worse. It's a terrible thing. I just knew that. And I had been wanting something to give me relief. And I'm so grateful for these 12 steps of AA and OA. And then I'm with people that understand and that today I know who I am. And then I can be free through these steps and being entire abstinence. So thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B. Devorah S., it's your turn. And Russ M., you'll be next. 
Thank you so much, everyone. My name is Deborah S. from New Jersey, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And oh, so many things jump out at me on this paragraph, you know, for most normal folks. So guess what? I guess I'm just not normal because um, he did not do that with me. First of all, any time as a child growing up, um, I had this disease. I was always, I was the fattest kid in my class, on my block, wherever, in the pictures, the, you know, in my family, I stood out. And for me and, and, and my parents tried very hard to help me um, to not indulge and eat and, 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 and hurt myself with the food. Um, and so you know, a lot of the food, you know, this, the the goodies were not brought into the house because it evolved around, um, you know, me because they knew that if it was in the house that I would be eating it. So I was restricted, um, you know, at recess time when the kids were out there playing and eating, uh, you know, their goodie bags. I was standing on the side eating my uh, cut up vegetables that my mom worked on to, so that I would be happy and, and, and wouldn't eat that stuff. She wanted to serve me healthy things. And all I wanted was to eat what those kids were eating. And I couldn't understand how, even if they had the snacks, they were out there running and playing and having a good time with my, their friends. And I was standing there on the side watching and eating uh, my, my carrot sticks. Um, and, all I wanted was their snacks. And, and as I grew older, the same thing. I couldn't understand how people can go to these social functions and enjoy themselves and dance and be with their friends and, and talk to one another. And I just couldn't wait for the waiter to bring out the food. And then when the music came on, everybody would just stop and go dance. And I would sit there you know, wanting to eat my neighbor's food. Um, and then when I finished my plate, I was embarrassed because everybody else, everybody's food was left intact and I would take the napkin and just cover my plate thinking, you know, you know, no one will see that I ate all that food. So I was always thinking in my head, like, are they going to be seeing me? Are they watching me eat? How much can I get in my body before anyone else comes back? You know, you know, that, you know, always wanting to fill myself up with the food and that no one should watch me. You know, no one should see me do that because how humiliating it is for after all, here I am the fattest person, but they sh- they can't see me eat what, what, you know, how I got, how I got to this place. And, you know, so grateful today that I don't have to do that. I do have, I do have intimacy. I do have fun today with people in food and you know what they whatever they're doing i can go anywhere and not feel um i have to hurt myself with the food thank god i'm so grateful for this program because it gives me an opportunity to live life um and and to enjoy it and with that i'll pass thank you thank you devorah s russ m it's your turn and leslie w you'll be next good morning russ m Recovering compulsive reader outside of Philly. Um, thank you for your service. Uh, so, three three words in normal. So I, you know, most people online had we all feel the same way, but yeah, I definitely knew I wasn't normal from a long, long time as you know, when I was born with it. But you know, there was no conviviality, companionship, colorful imagination. It was about food all the time for me. 
medium-sized, skinny, in shape, out of shape, working it. It was always about food for about 44 and a half years. That was my identity. Nothing was hidden. I didn't hide eating. Everybody knew. Everybody knew, and I didn't care. I didn't care. I just didn't care. And um, it was my identity. And I fell, and that last binge, and I walked into the, to me. I called to get to the meeting, and I was freaking out because I had lost all control. But when I got to that meeting, I knew I was in the right place. I knew I was in the right place. And through through this program and the 12 steps, I'm like that guy you ever see on Facebook that's colorblind, and they put those special glasses on him, and they, he starts to see everything, and he breaks down, and he looks and sees the colors. I couldn't appreciate anything my whole life for a long time, very long time. I have a, I have a lot of good, wonderful blessings, and the hardships too, like everybody else. But it's like I have these spiritual colorblind fixing glasses on. And now I can appreciate things, you know, I could, and it's only because of this program, you know, God and this program and the people on this line and the people on this line, because every day I get on here and you guys give me such hope to get through. So, you know, it's like there's hope and, and we can be free. We just got to do this simple program. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Russ M. And Leslie W., it's your turn. Thank you so much. This is Leslie W. Recovered in Tennessee. It is joy's intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. Um, For me, yes, there was a lot of um, joyous times of celebration um, with my family, um, you know, Sunday dinners. and uh, I, I do believe that this disease did um, not m- manifest itself um, until later on in my life, although I can see, you know, I'm, I'm, I was 30 years old. I'm, I'm 38 now, and I was 31 when I first came into the rooms um, of Overeaters Anonymous. And um, I had just had... Um, it was like a virus lying dormant in my body, kind of like mono, <laughs> just waiting on the right opportunity to pounce. <clears throat> and I just had my first child, and I remember thinking, and yes, you know, I'm, I, I, got, I, got, I got so much talk about kids and cake this morning. This is my wheelhouse. But I remember coming into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous um, a couple of months after I had my first child and thinking, you know, um, just I couldn't stop eating couldn't stop eating cake I mean I I just could not stop eating cake um and it just got to the point where after I had my baby people were bringing lots of food because that's what people do when you have a baby they bring you food um and um they didn't know it but they were bringing my poison into my house every single day and every day I would eat you know get up and I would say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna eat such and such today and I was three hours in, and I was eating away. And I, I can remember my son's first birthday party. I was having a freaking panic attack going to pick up the cupcakes because I couldn't trust myself in the car on the way back to my house. <laughs> but I, I just, 
the really the real reason I just wanted to share, and I, I realized that I was eating not because I enjoyed the food, but because I was trying to regain that sense of family, like I was lonely at home with my baby, and I was isolated, and I was just sleep deprived. Um, and uh, I just want to say, you know, and I'm, I apologize to the ones that don't have kids because I know I talk about my kids a lot, but I just want to say to all the moms out there, I know you're out there listening on this line with your face down in the food, nursing your babies or, or having sleepless nights, and you can't stop, and you, you don't know how to get out of it, but there's a way out. You don't have to wait until your kids are grown. To recover from this disease, you can do it now. Find us, seek us out. We're out there recovering um, from this disease every single day and enjoying life with our family. And I've enjoyed seven birthday parties since then without the cake. I pass. And thank you, Leslie W. Thank you to everyone who shared. And thank you for Team Tuesday, Liz V., Mary G., Roz R., Lisa H., Cecilia H. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And the share idea for today, Tuesday, September 26th, is 10474. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa H., Please read a vision for you. Good morning. This is Lisa H., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.